This is Lessons in Life, Journeys in Offender Rehabilitation, a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Justice. My name's Jordan and I've been given an all-access pass inside the New South Wales criminal justice system. This week, community corrections, whether it's released to parole or a community-based sentence, a significant amount of the work of Corrective Services New South Wales takes place in our towns and suburbs. It's often viewed as a soft option, but is this really the case? If you're ever tried to quit smoking or go on a diet or take up an exercise regime, it is hard to do because they require, it's, a, it's a discipline that's required and it is challenging. For offenders, it's not dissimilar. And we meet the staff responsible for managing offenders and affecting change in the way they think and act. The major part of our work is about seeing offenders, so day in, day out, um, both talking to the offender directly, but also making a lot of referrals to other agencies, uh, talking to their families, and checking up to make sure that what they're telling us in the interview room is actually correct. More than half of the offenders in New South Wales serve sentences outside prison walls. A portion of these are supervised by community corrections. I sat down with the Assistant Commissioner for Community Corrections, Rosemary Caruana, to bust some myths about managing offenders in the community. Assistant Commissioner Caruana, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you here. I wanted to start by asking you the same question that I've asked a lot of people on this podcast series, which is, what do you think are the top myths in New South Wales that we need to bust about corrections or how we manage offenders in New South Wales? I think the myths are that there's no punishment involved in managing offenders in the community. Prison is seen as as a punitive um, method of having somebody pay back to community for their crime. Community-based orders can actually be more onerous on an offender. When somebody's in custody, sure, they're they're deprived of their liberty, they um, have kind of limited access to family, friends, partners, etc. But at the end of the day, they are housed, they're clothed, they don't have to worry themselves about putting food on the table, they don't have to worry themselves about all the challenges you and I face on an everyday basis in terms of keeping life going for ourselves, for our partners, for our kids. When we put somebody on a community-based order, the order usually has um, certain conditions and requirements. And those conditions could be anywhere from um, community work, so giving something back to the community, to actually addressing those issues that are contributing to their offending behaviour. Now, that is really hard for offenders, and they often will try and avoid addressing those issues because it is hard. You look at yourselves. If you're ever tried to quit smoking or go on a diet or take up an exercise regime, it is hard to do because they require, it's, a, it's a discipline that's required and it is challenging. For offenders, it's not dissimilar. And, and if they're in the community, we work with them to try and address those issues that are underpinning their offending behaviour, their attitudes that are supporting that offending behaviour. And it is easier to avoid that, whereas what we tend to do is challenge challenge them and work with them to try and address that. There seems to be an expectation that these guys will never come out of custody, and that's not true. I, I think there's a view that... We'll put them in custody and it's going to protect the community. The community is going to be safer. And yeah, sure, it's safe 
whilst they're in custody, but they're still confronted with coming out back into the community. And in many cases, they've either you know, lost their partners uh, because the partner's moved on, um, don't have access to the kids, may or may not have um, support from family and friends. They may end up coming out to um, a boarding house. They may end up coming out to going back home with mum and dad on the couch or they will come out, in the majority of cases, no employment. They will need to make connections back again. And often they'll, they can be drawn back to their old cohort, their old peers. And we know from evidence that that is not a good thing for offenders. But what do they have when they come out? especially if they've been inside, even for a short time like six months. Whatever stabilising factors there may have been in place, whether it be employment, um, partnership, relationships, custody actually removes that. And a short sentence of six months is sufficient to destabilise the individual. So if they're coming out on parole, community corrections works with the offender, with the family, with the relevant other, with the partner, as well as the offender, to first off stabilise the offender as well as continue to address those issues and those attitudes that are underpinning the offender's behaviour. And that will be done through programs we run ourselves. It will be done through um, um, accessing services by NGOs, whether it be mental health, drug and alcohol services or the um, government sector as well. And we can't do this on our own. We can't change and turn around a lifetime of behaviour that in you know, a number of cases will have taken 10 years. Um, most of our VAR offenders will have a juvenile criminal history. And the attitudes that are underpinning the offending behaviour will have been reinforced over a decade, for over a decade. So for us, to work through and address that. Sometimes it's taking two steps forward, one step back, and it is persevering, and it is trying to work with the offender to keep them on track. I'm now pleased to introduce the Director of Strategy for Community Corrections, Jason Hainsworth, Manager of the Community Corrections Policy Unit, Joanne Kennedy, and Clint Berry, Practice Manager with Community Corrections Practice Unit. Joe, Clint, Jason, welcome. Thanks for coming and being on the podcast today with us. Uh, Joe, what do you think are some of the top myths uh, that we need to bust about prison or the corrections landscape in New South Wales? I think for me it's that like criminals are sort of different to us and that, you know, people think that they don't know any criminals and they almost certainly do, so that they're not like this special group of people that you can see or, or know who they are. They're just people walking around the community all the time. And so just understanding that that label is not, doesn't define that whole person and that they're with us. Yeah. Jason, can you give us a bit of an explanation about what Community Corrections actually does? Because for people who aren't familiar with the workings of the criminal justice system in New South Wales, there seems to be a bit of a perception that if you get on the wrong side of the law, you go directly to jail. Uh, now, that's actually not the case, but there doesn't seem to be the same kind of awareness about Community Corrections as there is about custodial corrections. That, that idea links back maybe to one of the, the other myths, which I think you've touched on there, is the idea that everyone goes to jail when actually it's a very small percentage. And I think one thing that surprises or might surprise people first off is that 
there are more people on community-based sentences than there are in custody. And I think one thing that even surprises some of our staff is that there's even more people still that go to court and get criminal convictions, that get fines or unsupervised orders, and, and they're by far the biggest population. Um, so community corrections plays a really key role in managing those offenders that don't go to jail, as well as the ones that, that do. Um, and we look after them as they're coming out and when they're out in the community. Uh, so community corrections main job is to help manage those offenders in the community on their community-based sentences or parole orders, try and change their behaviour to stop them from offending. Um, but we also do a lot of work providing advice to courts and sentencing authorities to help them make their decisions around which offenders need to go into what orders, uh, whether to release someone or whether to put someone back into custody. So what does a day in the life of a community corrections officer look like? The major part of our work is about seeing offenders, so day in, day out. Um, interviewing them, talking to them about what the things are that lead to their offending, helping them to come up with solutions for how they're going to address those issues, whether that's drug abuse, uh, anger management issues, um, whatever the case may be. Um, both talking to the offender directly, but also making a lot of referrals to other agencies, um, so health, uh, for example, talking to their families, and checking up to make sure that what they're telling us in the interview room is actually correct. Um, but that face-to-face -face contact and those phone calls and, and liaison with other people is, is a key part of the job. One of the most exciting parts of the, uh, the strategy to reduce reoffending is the implementation of the Practice Guide for Intervention in Community Corrections. Uh, it's called the PGI. Clint, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what the PGI actually is. Uh, so the PGI is a practice guide for intervention. Um, we often use the term as, as, as doing PGIs, or undertaking interventions. Uh, so when offenders come uh, to see our staff, where we're doing a PGI, where we're having a behaviour change conversation, regardless of the uh, offence, the underlying needs, the underlying factors that uh, have to be addressed uh, are tailored. And do you have a favourite PGI? Uh, so probably uh, looking at uh, stress and anger. So we have a conversation if it's relevant for that offender, if stress and anger might be a, a part of their offending or something that's le leading up to their offending, whether it's drug use or, or assault. This PGI invites a conversation around what they're feeling in their, their body, what, what internal factors might be coming up, what external factors might be there, to grow awareness on some of the red flags or some of the things that they might be able to firstly become aware of and then choose an alternative behaviour. Um, as we were saying earlier, for a lot of our offenders, the, the awareness isn't there. Often they say, oh look, I just, I just saw red straight away or I just snapped. And we're trying to bust that myth to slow it down to say, well, what are some of the, what's some of the thinking that might be happening before? What's some of the feelings that happened before? When, where can you choose something different? And how has the PGI changed how you work with offenders? So the main change that the PGI brings is not a significant change to the philosophy of what we do. It's a practical tool to help us do what we're already doing, but to do it better. Um, so a key challenge, which we've already touched on, is keeping on track on those, those really important things that do change behaviour, which is what's the person thinking? So what, what is the offender thinking? What are their attitudes? What are their beliefs that lead them to think that it's okay to offend? And so a lot of the work that we do is, is targeted at changing that thinking. And it's really hard work to do. Uh, it, it's not the sort of conversation that you just normally have in day-to-day -day life. Uh, and it's something that doesn't come naturally to most people. So PGI really just provides a structure to help our staff to have those conversations more effectively and to keep them on track. I think, Jason, you uh, often talk about 
what it's like to change other behaviours for us. Yeah. So we're not changing offending behaviours, but if you're trying to lose weight or quit smoking or do some sort of psychological work, then those all of those behaviours are really hard to change. And it's the same concept. Like if you can kind of think how much work you need to do to do some of those, this is that, but probably more, right? Oh, absolutely. I think if you look at most diet plans, the thing that they have in common is that you, you lose calories and that's how you lose weight. But the way that they approach it is by having a structure. Yeah. And sometimes things like you know, only eat protein or um, avoid carbohydrates or whatever, you know, the latest fat is, the thing that they bring to the table is is not some magical formula. It's a plan that you can stick to and, and concrete goals. And I think that's that's the critical key. Well, a plan, but also a lot of the ones that are really effective work on your thinking. Yeah, you can yeah. do the calorie thing, that's yes. easy, but it's actually changing your thinking and changing your lifestyle. And that's yeah. what's the important part. Yeah. yeah. And do any of you have uh, a favourite anecdote about your time working with offenders? Not, not fun thing that happened to me, but one of my favourite sort of little anecdotes around, and this was, this was before P, PGI, but it was, it was dealing with an offender, um, trying to do the same sort of thing. And it was just an example that just really st- stuck in my head as, as perfectly illustrating that the problem is the thinking rather than anything else. And so it was, a, it was an offender that, had a history of property offending and all of his offending was uh, based around stealing stuff to pay for his drugs and so he'd started using um, or started smoking uh, pot I think it was again and we were having a discussion around how he's going to end up in a position where he's going to have to start stealing again and so we talked through his finances and his different commitments and of course he's on a Centrelink payment um, you know Department of Housing he's, he's not very well off and the discussion was well, this is your income, and you're telling me that this is how much you, you need to spend on drugs or how much you usually spend um, when you're using. And you've got all of this rent and all of these other things that you have to pay for, and you, you just don't have enough money. Like, how are you going to sustain this? And he said, no, 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 it, it's fine. I've got, look at, I've got enough in my Centrelink payment to cover all of my drugs. It's my rent that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that, that just summed it up. Just that, that one little response is, it, it's about that, that thinking and those priorities are just completely back to front. Uh, and if we can work on that, then you can get a different behaviour. In our next episode, I sit down with Corrective Services Media Director, Michael Duffy, to discuss journalism's fascination with justice. The media's interest in anything is basically driven by a sense of drama or crisis. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the subject is, and so prisons are hardly immune for that. Remember, you can find out more on the Justice New South Wales Facebook page or visit our website, justice.newsouthwales.gov.au. This is Lessons in Life, Journeys in Offender Rehabilitation, a podcast from the New South Wales Department of Justice. <laughs>